Welcome to Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories edition. In all of the installments of Pitbull Stories, I have special guests who share their stories of what it was like to um, acquire a Pitbull type dog, to live with a Pitbull type dog, and kind of share their experience of how they worked through some of those stigmas and how they advocate for the breed now. I've been the proud owner of two blocky headed dogs and our current blocky headed dog, Waylon, is an American Staffordshire Terrier, and I know what it feels like to experience some of the stigmas that the world wants to throw at you, and my intention with this series is to reassure all of you amazing blocky-headed owners that our beloved pit bulls are amazing, and we can play a huge role in advocating for the breed. So please enjoy these episodes, and if you'd like to be a guest on Pitbull Stories, please send me a DM over on the Instagram at a feeling underscore NCO. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Disorderly Dogs, the podcast, hashtag Pitbull Stories edition. Um, I have another wonderfully special guest with me tonight. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Um, and then obviously, you know, I know a lot of people are already familiar with Ray, but um, I, want, I want them to get to know you too. Yeah, my name is Jacqueline Kaidel Martinez. I live in Phoenix, Arizona with my husband and our two dogs. Um, but I am far less interesting than my dogs are, so I'm not going to talk too much about myself in that respect. <laughs> okay, so um, I want to hear, so how did you get started with pit bulls? Was Ray your first, or did you have one before that? Yeah, so I've actually lived with pit bulls since the age of about 16. Um, I grew up low income on the west side of Chicago, and um, my dad had always been attracted to like the vilified breeds. So I grew up with Doberman and Rottweilers at the time. Um, but when I was 16, pit bulls were really coming to the height of the kind of hysteria and mania surrounding them. And, you know, one day he came home with a pit bull and that was that. So uh, that was my very first pit. And I've since lived, if you count the two that I have now, I've since lived with four. So Oh my God. Got a lot of pits that in my life. So like, yeah, dad, yeah. like what an amazing ex example. Yeah. <laughs> so cool. Okay. So, um, so when you got your first pit bull, um, do you feel like your community was apprehensive of you and the pit bull when you were out? Like what was your experience from your surrounding community? Yeah, I mean, where I grew up in Chicago, definitely people crossed the street. And she was she was kind of one of those like mean looking pit bulls. She had the look to her. Um, and yeah, you know, people would cross the street or, um, you know, I would get asked when I was walking her if we would breed her. Um, all sorts of just kind of cacophony things shouted um, while we were out together. So, um, and often being told to watch myself because the dog was probably going to attack me one day. Oh my yeah. God. And it's crazy because people really believe that, right? Like they thought that they were doing you a service by telling you that, yeah. but ultimately they had no idea. Yeah. I mean, and especially when you're thinking about, lower income communities where maybe it is a little bit more of the norm to um, be around dog fighting or to maybe not see pit bulls treated as a typical 
family pet. Maybe, you know, those families do have different breeds of dogs that are treated a little bit differently than the pit is. But, you know, it's really just a matter of education and um, really opening up to the world and showing them that these are just like any other dog. Yeah, right. Okay, so so since then, right, you've had many pit bulls. Can you kind of speak to like how you have personally seen the community, like the internet, like the interpretation start to shift and change? Yeah, you know, I think the Michael Vick case was a big inflection point for pit bulls because it finally forced people to reckon with the misconceptions that we had, right? Because this was really the first time that such a large number of dogs were seized from a fighting situation and weren't automatically euthanized, which was typically the case before. So following their journey to basically redemption really won over the hearts and minds of a lot of people and proved wrong that, you know, it isn't really even about good and bad owners most of the time, right? People always say, oh, it's how you treat them. Well, actually, you know, we have tons of evidence that shows that that's not even the case. Um, so I think that was probably the biggest turning point for the breed. And that doesn't mean that the struggles are over and we all still know there's breed specific legislation and there's still dog fighting, but um, really the conversation shifted after that moment. Well, and I remember that sports, sports illustrated cover, right? Like yeah. right for the, I feel like to your point, right? Like for the first time pit bulls were painted as the victim, right? Instead of the perpetrator. Yeah. And um, actually that same author, Jim Grant, he wrote a book called The Lost Dogs. And I highly recommend any of your listeners who are Pitbull fans. It's one of the best books I've ever read, but um, definitely have the tissues nearby for it. Yeah. No, sobbed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh my God. Okay. So, um, so I want to hear just a little bit more about Ray's story. So, so tell us about her. Yeah. Um, so at the time I had um, my, my Pitbull Fisk, who was kind of getting up there in years, and my Pitbull KJ, who was still a young, spry little lady. Um, and my husband and I weren't married yet, but we were noticing Fisk was starting to get a little bit slower, and I really enjoyed having a two-dog household. So we'd been talking about adopting a third and, um, you know, just kind of having another pup in our home since KJ, our like middle child is so, she's so dog dependent. She loves other dogs. So we didn't want Fisk to leave us and she would kind of end up being alone to grieve. So we had our ear open. Um, and my uncle called me one day and he's like, you have to come to XYZ mall. Um, there's a, a dog rescue that set up shop having an adoption event and they've got three little pit bull puppies and he knew I was a pit bull nut. So I told my husband, let's load up the car. We're going. <laughs> and, uh, that's where we met Ray and the rest is history. They ended up, um, well, they, they got her out of a bad backyard breeding situation. Um, so they rescued her and two of her sisters out of that situation. They tried to get the mom out of there too, but they were unable to convince the owner to surrender her. So, um, Ray and her two sisters made it out. That is amazing. Okay. So, um, being a pit bull owner, did you have any reservations about adopting a puppy with like relatively unknown lineage? 
No, I didn't. Um, we had gone through, actually my Fisk, my old man was hyper dog selective, borderline dog reactive. And, um, you know, we just used a lot of patience to introduce him when we brought KJ into the fold, a lot of distance, allowed it to be on his own time. You know, it was probably about six weeks of slow introduction time for the two of them. So we were really confident we could do that again. Um, and, you know, just me having a lot of dog experience, you know, I would know if it was time to bring in a trainer or something like that. So nice. no, no, no qualms. Yeah. Right. And I thought that's my experience, right? Like I feel like people see these puppies and they're like, let's do it. Right. But I think, you know, I want to just kind of circle back to what you were talking about earlier, right? Like this misnomer that it's all in how you raise them because there is so much we can do to influence how they become, right? Like I, I don't, I don't want to discount that, but you know, there's also this genetic element that I feel like is not always in the conversation. And I feel that because I feel like sometimes it, it paints our beloved blocky headed dogs and maybe a light that like can be misused by anti pitbull people. But I think it's important that we're honest about like the realities of like, we can't change genetic makeup. There she is. <laughs> yeah, that was one of them. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, the funny thing is people point to their history as being bred as a fighting dog for the reason that they can't be trusted. And it's funny that the opposite is true. While that might make them a little more prone to have a tough time with other animals. Um, the human aggression had been typically or virtually bred out of them for, you know, the last century, because if you're, it's unfortunately a very intimate experience to be fighting a dog and you can't risk that dog turning on you in the heat of the moment. So um, it's a really weird kind of yucky place to explore, but it is the reality of the situation. Yeah, it really is. So, and I think too, you know, like the fact that we can't always get what we want out of intentional breedings, right? So like a lot of, hey girl, a lot of the, you know, the, the breeders, quote unquote breeders who are breeding for fighting, they were selecting for aggression and they were getting duds, so to speak, right? Yeah. Like puppies coming out of those litters who were like not aggressive whatsoever, right? Yeah. So like there, there's so many contributing factors to all of that. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, so it sounds like your family has been like pitbull advocates. Do you feel like anyone in your family has been like worried or like apprehensive about pitbulls or you feel like they already knew what we all know? Um, you know, when we first brought home our, our very first pit at 16, my mom was so anti. She was one of those who was all about that this dog is going to kill us in our sleep. It's just, you know, it was a blowout between her and my dad. And um, when Jade, um, when we ultimately had to say goodbye to her, my mom was the worst off out of any of us. Like she did not handle it well. So uh, they won over a big skeptic with her. But as far as, you know, my life with my husband is concerned, we're, no, we're great. <laughs> we don't, we don't keep those people around anyway. So seriously, right? Well, and you know, it just, it takes those experiences, right? Where a previous skeptic gets to know and opens their heart and appreciates the dog for who they are. Like, I mean, 
that's the best advocacy you could ever hope for, right? Is that like those subtle changing of minds where all of a sudden, you know, the anti-Pippler is like, nope, now I'm a, star a stark advocate because they're amazing dogs. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, so I, I want to kind of talk about um, how you use your platform to advocate for pit bulls. So it's remarkable, right? Like, I mean, what you've been able to accomplish on the social platforms with Ray's sweet, beautiful face. I mean, it's really remarkable. And then um, I, I was reading the, the article that you guys were recently tagged in, right? Like really speaking to that, right? How um, social media and Ray's Pitbull account in, in particular has, has been a huge game changer for the image. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, you know, the, the blow up of social media has put the power back in our hands to own that narrative rather than it being a narrative that gets owned by anti-advocates or, um, you know, even just misinformed folks in the media. Um, so it, it's been really fun. Um, it's a lot of work to maintain a, a, a an Instagram account and a TikTok account with a lot of followers, but it's, it's perfect to show those, you know, those often unscripted wholesome moments with her that just welcome people into the reality of having this kind of dog, which is that they're just like any other dog, right? They, are goofy and they're loving and they get wild zoomies and they get tired and they they're just dogs <laughs> yeah right and i feel like you know i i feel like the imagery right like oh my god seriously her bath videos like stop it <laughs> she's so sweet but like that imagery right and like that image being stuck in people's mind right and getting past this like mythic monster pitbull narrative right and people realizing like no pitbulls are actually just dogs and spoiled pets right <laughs> like, yeah yeah exactly i mean gosh I, I i just think about the ways people probably might think of her out the gate if they saw us walking down the street she is really cute so i don't think she gets as much of the fearfulness that we got with our first pit who just happened to look like a rough and tumble kind of gal but um you know it and and they're missing out on those great moments that we share all the time um on our instagram on our tiktok so um yeah it's just it's a great opportunity to kind of bust those misconceptions and those stereotypes well and i think like you know the the secret glimpse into those intimate moments right like I feel like as like dog parents, um, I think everyone can relate to that. And I think that even people who love their dogs and maybe are unsure about pit bulls, they see those intimate moments that like you get to share with her. And I think that that's really powerful, right? For shifting how people think. And, and maybe they don't say anything, maybe you don't hear from them, but like those ripple effects matter and they're super powerful. Yeah, I mean, you kind of can start to believe it once you start to see it, right? And, um, you know, there's some awesome pity accounts out there. I mean, Noah and Lincoln are probably one of my favorites. Um, and they, their audience wants to see those kind of comedic moments that Vivian recreates with her dogs. Um, and, you know, we've tried some of those and those haven't landed with our audience. People are following her for the less um 
the less kind of comedic humor moments and the more just authentic happenstance moments that I, you know, just happen to accidentally catch on camera. I'm not necessarily planning to get her doing anything, but one day she does something cute and I'm like, oh, there we go. Um, so it's interesting to see, you know, why people follow different accounts for Noah and Lincoln. It's that comedic relief. It's these two big old hippos just being like their total opposite personalities and um, having fun with Vivian and her husband. And then for us, it's, you know, just a little bit more kind of candid type moments. Yeah. Right. So I'm just curious, do you ever get haters on the Instagram? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I got one the other day. Um, and I'm so not good <laughs> at not, um, you know, getting worked up about, I grew up on the West side of Chicago, like I said, so you know, I don't, I'm not good at letting things go. Um, so I do sometimes get caught in the arguments actually with this gentleman, I was very calm and I was like, Oh, actually like, these are some misconceptions. Have you thought about X, Y, Z? And then that just set him off and he lost his absolute temper with me. Um, so I mean, those pop up, you know, sometimes, but I also think most of the time people don't really waste their time because it's like, it's a lost battle at this point. It really is. The tides are turning. So, you know, really are. So I'm curious where you are now. So you're in Phoenix. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Phoenix. Yeah. So what is the community's perception of pitbulls just like from your experience, like there in Phoenix? Um, you know, the great thing about Phoenix is we don't have any breed specific legislation. It's banned in Arizona. You can't enact any, which is great. Um, and you know, I, I think it's like anywhere else where you, you know, your next door neighbor could hate them on one side and then your other next door neighbor could think they're amazing. Um, there isn't a whole lot of conversation around it. Um, the last time I can remember there being a big issue was probably like four years ago, maybe when, when, um, when a pit did, um, did attack a toddler and it was, it was a pit bull who was chained up in its front yard its entire life. Right. And the kid took a bone that it happened to see in the front yard and the dog just, that was it. I mean, um, and that was the last time there was really any big hubbub about the breed. Um, and I think those moments are really important to educate people that um, it, statistically, if you have a chained dog, if you have an outside dog, if you have a neglected dog, um, those dogs are statistically involved in something like 80 some percent of um, maulings of people, regardless of breed. The unfortunate part is people tend to do that with a pit bull and not a labradoodle, right? Like you don't buy um, a labradoodle and chain it up out front. You buy a pit bull and do that. So um, that's kind of the last time there was a really big conversation around pits in Arizona. Yeah. And you know, the, and you know, pit bull attacks make sens sensational headlines, right? Like it's not right or fair, but it does make sensational headlines. And I think that you know, I think that it really speaks to if you deprive a dog of all of the necessities for a happy, healthy life, it makes plenty of sense that you're going to see a gigantic spike in aggression, especially towards people, right? Like yeah. that's all explainable. 
look at what we're going through with this pandemic. I mean, suicides are on the rise, depression is on the rise, and it's because we're not able to do all of those things our humanity needs us to do to be healthy and well-adjusted. So, I mean, take that same concept and do it to a dog and, you know, that's kind of what you're going to get as an output. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I think it really boils down to one, obviously creating a safe space for a dog to live, but also like as parents of dogs being really savvy about dog behavior and knowing our individual dogs and their limits. Right. And I think that that's something that I've been so inspired by is like all of the amazing people who own blocky headed dogs who are realizing who their dogs are and not putting them in situations in which they cannot thrive. Yeah. Um, Ray is not a super dog friendly dog. She's just not. And so we don't, we don't go to the dog park. We don't do doggy meet and greets and um, that's okay. I need her to be able to walk peacefully down the street with me and she does that just fine, but I'm not going to put her in a situation where she's set up to fail. So I, I completely agree that knowing those limitations and respecting those limitations is priority number one for pit bull owners, especially. Yeah. And I think that that's something that's really hard for like the new pit bull owner, right? Is coming to terms with maybe their dog isn't fantastic with every dog because I feel like innately, right? Like I feel like something that's so attractive about the breed is that they are, they do kind of have a stigma and like you get this dog and you love them and you want to like them to be an advocate and everyone to understand how amazing they are. And I think for the, for a new pit bull owner, that's, a lot to come to terms with, like truly emotionally, right? Like really coming to terms with like, I have a pit bull type dog who doesn't love all dogs and that is 100% okay. Yeah, it is. There's no shame. There's no reason to feel bad about yourself or think that you failed or, you know, any of those things. Um, And, you know, if it really is an issue that's getting to a point of being dangerous, we unfortunately get on Ray's account, a lot of questions about, hey, my dog needs help with blah, blah, blah. And my first thing is find a reputable trainer. Your your Pitbull influencer is not the person you need to be turning to for advice on those things. So if you do ultimately get to the point where your dog is maybe getting to an area that's a little bit dangerous, where it's not just they don't like other dogs, but kind of a step beyond that, just get a trainer. Go look at some reviews and make sure that they're they're using evidence-based approaches to their training and um, spend the money to make sure your dog um, stays safe and happy and healthy with you. It's literally my life's work, right? <laughs> it's, it's literally my passion. Like, and you know, I think that having the help of a professional can really empower you to embrace the dog you have to live a happy, healthy life with them. You know what I mean? Instead of like meeting this resistance. And, and I feel like the, the stigma and the pressure on owners who have dogs who maybe have behaved aggressively, there have been aggressive incidents, I feel like it feels more dire from their perspective. Yeah. Right? Like, and, and I think that that's some of those stereotypes that I think that all pit bull owners have to unlearn over time. Right. Because I think just because you own a pit bull doesn't mean that you don't have those deep down like stereotype stigmas that you didn't think that you had internalized, but you did. Yeah. Right. And that is okay. That is okay. But that's when the help of a skilled professional who can help you dissect behavior and the environment, like that's so integral because 
yeah, owning a dog who can be aggressive and then owning a dog who can be aggressive and comes in a blocky headed package, that's a lot of pressure on people. Yeah, it is. It's, you know, there isn't room for error, unfortunately, because like you said, pit bull bites person will make the headlines, whereas, you know, lab bites person doesn't. <laughs> so Right. Kind of take on that, that added burden almost to be extra responsible, to be advocates, to be, you know, that shining beacon on a hill kind of thing when we decide to adopt a pit. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, what I, I want to hear from you, right? Your perspective, since you have two dogs, they do play. I, I find that a lot of like normal, quote unquote, normal dog play and like tendencies really starts to get like blown out of proportion when it comes to the blocky headed package. <laughs> Hi, Ray. <laughs> the male is here, so uh, they're preventing us from being attacked. Good job. Yes, good job. So are there any behaviors like that, that Ray does in play that you feel like, like in a different context, people would maybe blow out of proportion? Um, you know, not so much Ray. Um, it's funny. It's KJ, our other one who is such a vocal player and she is the most dog friendly dog on the planet. Um, once a dog accidentally got into our backyard somehow and she was like, it was like Christmas morning for her. It was the best day of her life, right? Like any dog would be like, uh, what the hell are you doing back here? Um, and she's like, Bob, look. <laughs> um, but she like does this banshee growl. She does the snarling. You can hear her snaps. Um, and you know, Ray loves to play that really full on aggressive play right back with her. So when you're watching the two of them, um, like when we have friends over, sometimes they're a little bit freaked out. I'm like, no, they're, this is full play. This is full play mode. Um, they'll get tired in a minute. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of freaky. Even the first time for me, um, it was a little bit unnerving, but KJ had been a vocal player since we got her as a puppy. So I kind of knew what her sounds were. Um, <laughs> you know, like a baby where you know what kind of cry it is if they're hungry or if they have to get a diaper change or whatever. Um, so that definitely helped. But it's it's wild to watch them play sometimes with the full snarls going and hearing their teeth snap and, you know, they actually pull on one another's skin and you're like, all right, if it's fun, then go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, right. And I think that I have gotten so many calls from amazing people who are like, is my dog still playing? And I'm like, send me a video. And they do. I'm like, and most of the time, honestly, I'm like, oh, they're for sure playing. Welcome to the world of vocal blocky headed dogs play. <laughs> yeah, it's so, I mean, it cracks me up at this point. Um, so it gets so loud sometimes though. And you have to be like, well, you're just calm down. But <laughs> Um, it's like one of my favorite things. They usually, after our, we go for a walk every morning and after our morning walk, when their adrenaline is all still high, that's when they really just go to town as far as sprinting through the house and chasing each other out in the backyard. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, you know, to your earlier point, it's like knowing that body language, knowing what their personalities are and when they're getting to that point of getting maybe a little too aroused and then just ending things peacefully and like, okay, we can chill out now. And I think that that's, that's a reality that I think is, is hard to convey without like giving the anti-pitbullers ammunition, but like 
I mean, blocky-headed do type dogs do want to play hard, and sometimes that play gets too much. And yes, we do have to intervene. Is it always going to end in a fight? No, right? But they do. They want to rough and tumble. They want to play hard. They're freaking athletes, for God's sakes, right? Yeah. Like, we can't expect them to, to play like docile little, you know, um, golden retrievers. Not all yeah. golden retrievers are docile, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's okay for them to play hard, but it's finding and understanding our individual dogs and like, okay, I'm going to need you to take it down a lot. Yeah. being crazy. You are now fully drenched in one another slobber. So, um, and you know, they're tired too. It's just that they'll keep going and that the, um, the go to your place command is like the best thing ever to just separate everybody, go to their place. You get a treat for doing so. And then they're finally like, Oh yeah, I was kind of tired. <laughs> then they usually fall asleep anyway. <laughs> right, right. And like using that valuable skill set to peacefully intervene before it escalates to, you know, yeah. Them yelling at each other. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm just I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on this. So I know that some people are uncomfortable with like the terminology, like the label pit bull. Like, how do you feel about that? Um, I'm fine with it. I I think um, you know it is like there is no agreed upon term, right? Because it's something like an umbrella term for seven breeds or five breeds or three, whatever resource you're reading at the time. I just my skin crawls with purebred pit bull because that just conjures up the yucky breeders and the like, I have to pay $2,000 for this dog. And um, that's what I, like, that just makes my skin crawl. So I usually try to educate when people are like, is Ray a purebred? Well, one, we don't know she was adopted and two, there like, isn't a such thing because in and of itself, Pitbull is a mutt, so. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. And ooh, girl, I can relate. I feel like everyone <laughs> listening can relate to the like Craigslist ad, like purebred pit bull, purebred red nose pit bull. Like yeah. no people, no, please yeah. don't buy into that. <laughs> we went to a hotel when Ray was a puppy and she came with us because she was so young yet. I didn't want to leave her with the dog sitter. Um, and I remember the guy checking us in is like, is that a blue nose? They're super rare. And I was like, well, actually she was rescued from someone who didn't want her. They're like, if you go to the shelter right down the block here, you're going to find about 20 of them. <laughs> so no, <laughs> they're not rare. It's just, yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like the, there's a lot of misconceptions of that and like hype around it. Yeah. Right? Like, oh, I got yeah. a blue nose. Like, no, actually, you have an individual soul in a blue package, <laughs> but you do you. you do and you. she's afraid of the vacuum and um, <laughs> afraid of water and afraid of, <laughs> like, trust me. Right? Like, if you only knew who she really yeah. was as an individual. Yeah. Oh, my mm -hmm. God. Okay, so I want to kind of wrap it up, but I want to hear from you. What is one or as many as you'd like to list Pitbull myths that you wish would just die already? Oh, oh, I have so many. I'm sure all of your guests have talked about these before, but the, the they'll turn on you thing um, is always hard to hear because again, if you're looking at the science and the data behind any dog attack, more than 80% of them involve one of, I think, five, five or seven factors. And those are either it's a chain dog, it's an outdoor dog, neglect, no adult to intervene. Um, so, you know, that that misconception always comes with a backstory that 
unfortunately isn't told with it. So that's probably my number one. Um, number two would be the lockjaw thing. Oh um, <laughs> and people will die with the, like, you cannot send them to like the American Veterinary Association. Nothing will change their mind. The, uh, the a pitbull's jaw locks. Um, and gosh, I think those would probably be my top two and everything else just flows from there as far as, you know, being human aggressive or, um, I, I don't know. <laughs> Fill in the blank with like, yeah, okay, but seriously, like the locking jaw myth, like, I mean, people think that they just can't eat or anything. Like if their jaw locks, then we couldn't get it unhinged. Like it just, the logic behind it is crazy, but like hysteria, whew, what a powerful motivator. It is. Like it's yeah. not right or fair, but like, I mean, I feel like especially in like the current climate that we're in right now, right? Like, I mean, fear and hysteria is a really powerful motivator for human behavior. And unfortunately, the pit bull has just been caught up in all of that. Yeah. I mean, we always have to have a villain, right? And I mean, you know, I mentioned Doberman and Rottweiler as, at the beginning of this. Um, oh gosh. And even German Shepherds too, right? And these oh, yeah. are now all dogs that are really kind of go fly under the radar. Um, but when the pit bull's turn is over, what's going to come next? And then who's going to be fighting to save the life of, you know, their beloved family pet because there's new fear mongering happening. Um, so, you know, stopping, stopping the like anti-science, anti-evidence, um, movement is, you know, something we really need to do in a lot of areas of society right now, but especially for our dogs. Right. And oh my God, it's such a good point, right? Because like when we talk about breed specific legislation, obviously pit bull type dogs are like very high on the list of that. But breed specific legislation is not improving the quality of any community. And, and to your point, what breed are we going to fill in the blank with next? Yeah. Right. And, and I think that, you know, the push to end breed specific legislation is not just for pit bull type dogs, right? It is for every single breed of dog. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, um, Thank you so very much. I know my listeners are going to be so freaking excited to get, you know, secret access into the world of Ray the Pitbull. Um, okay, so I, um, so I want to ask this one more question, and then I want you to tell the listeners how they can connect with you. So um, um, so the book you mentioned, um, can you say the title of that again? Yeah, it's The Lost Dogs by Jim Brandt. It basically details um, the moment of rescue of the Michael Vick dogs off of the off of his property and follows them all the way through what he calls their redemption. Um, and it's called the lost dogs because, um, you know, these dogs didn't have names, their stories would have been lost. And, um, by being taken in by awesome organizations, um, like bad rap and, um, best friends, animal sanctuary, these dogs were no longer lost. So it's one of my favorite books of all time. But like I said, have the tissues nearby, um, lots of them while you're reading this one. Absolutely. Okay. So, um, tell my listeners how they can connect with you. Yeah. Ray's on Instagram and TikTok primarily. So that's at Ray, R-E-Y, the pitbull. 
T-H-E-P-I-T-B-U-L-L. You can email her at raythepit.com um, and her website, raythepitbull, or I'm sorry, her email is raythepit at gmail.com. Her website will be live soon and that'll be raythepitbull.com. So um, that'll be kind of a hub for information there coming soon. That is amazing. Thank you so much. It was such Thanks a Thanks for having me. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to learn more about how you can connect with me for training, you can go to my website, agfdogtraining.com. If you'd like more training inspiration and insight, you can follow me on Instagram at a good feeling underscore NCO. If you'd like to become a member and support the podcast, please check us out on Patreon. You can check us out at patreon.com slash disorderly dogs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss out on any future episodes. And if you really like this podcast and you want to go above and beyond for me, you could leave a five-star review over on Apple Podcasts to help more like-minded individuals find us.